We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for a little while today on Empower Radio and Journey to Center. To me, one of the most important things we can do to manifest great relationships and live a happy, healthy life is to find balance, a balance between our heads and our hearts, our inner reality and our outer reality, our masculine side and our feminine side. For me, when I've gone out of balance, bad things have happened with my health, in my relationships, with my finances, and more. Something I've found that helps me find and maintain my balance is the practice of meditation. Meditation is typically associated with Eastern traditions and can be described as the practice of inner contemplation. It can reduce stress, improve our health, clear out our fears, open our hearts, as well as encourage and promote our spiritual growth. Another important balance I love learning about is the balance and blend of Eastern and Western traditions. As I've explored these traditions and started to understand how they can complement each other, it certainly has made my life make a lot more sense. Here to have this compelling conversation enlighten us further on East meeting West and the power of meditation is John Adago. John Adago is a writer, lecturer, and a leader of study groups that introduce seekers to philosophy and to meditation. John is a student of philosophy and has engaged in studies with groups in the United States, Canada, England, Italy, and Australia. Fascinated by the body of knowledge these independent groups had in common, John spent many years seeking the connections between them, the seekers in the West that founded them, and the teachers in the East that inspired them. In his new book, East Meets West, he explores the fascinating history that connects the lives and philosophies of the master teachers who brought the closely held knowledge and spiritual traditions of the East to the West. Such an important conversation to have. So, John Adago, thanks so much for being here with us today on Jarnita Center. Well, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Absolutely. So I just want to start with the title of your book and also in your introduction. You say East meets West is a phrase often heard and a story seldom told. So I'd love to know more about the title of your book and this phrase. Well, yes. Uh, what, what this book is about is how today meditation is a household word and words like mantra and yoga and awareness consciousness are a part of people's vocabulary. Um, This was not the case a mere 50 years ago. Uh, We've really had quite a transformation um, in in awareness as a result of the influence of this Eastern philosophy. And what this book talks about is specifically 13 teachers whose life and whose work made uh, this introduction of this very different perspective available here in the West. And as a result of it, people have uh, a different understanding of their religion and a different approach to their spirituality. Very cool. And, you know, I've read a lot about different Eastern teachers, Paramahansa Yogananda and some different 
different people. The people you write about, the teachers you write about, aren't that well known. How did you come to learn about these people and their stories? Well, I began to be interested in the writings of Gurdjieff and Espensky, who were two philosophers that, uh, whose books began to be published around in the 50s. These men died in 47 uh, and 49, and their books began to be published. I encountered their books, began to study their philosophy, and then began to seek like-minded people that I could explore what they called the work uh, more fully. Uh, and that, from that, I, I, I began with a, a teacher by the name of Mr. Nyland, who was, uh, had been with Gurdjieff for many years. I had the good fortune to be in his group for about six years. After he passed on, I pursued the study with several other groups and found that there was a profound body of knowledge that they held in common. And that started my quest for, my search for the, their teachers uh, and the teachers in the East that inspired them. Um, so that's how I got, began to look into this. And the teachers that I write about in East Meets West are the teachers that influenced my journey. Uh, these were men and women, uh, many of whom that I knew, and the others who passed on before I was an adult. I, although I did not know them, I knew people who were very close to them. So that this wasn't a, a matter of simply library research. Uh, I was profoundly affected uh, by that. Very cool. And I know, I think all of them, if not all of them, most of them talk about the importance of meditation. Can we touch on that subject a little bit? Well, yes. Um, the <clears throat> meditation is a, is, a, is a key practice in this work. And, and the work that we're speaking about is men and women beginning to become aware of their essential nature, um, that they seek to go uh, deeper in their understanding of what life is about. Espensky, uh, uh, one of these teachers that I read about in East Meets West, uh, he wrote a book titled In Search of the Miraculous. And what he meant by the miraculous was a penetration beneath the superficial layer of our everyday life to something more profound, a deeper and for many, in many ways, unknown reality. And he sought out knowledge on how men and women could become in, in touch with themselves in a deeper sense. <clears throat> he turned to the East, as did many uh, of these teachers. And what they discovered there was knowledge and practices that had, uh, for a millennium, really been available only to very few people in, in isolated areas. Uh, as a result of their life work, life's work, they brought this knowledge to the West. And the key practice was the practice. Um, so that, that practice is a very practical uh, method, and, and the meditation that they brought was a means that's applicable to people in their everyday lives and people who are involved in a full life of family and profession and community. So if somebody says, maybe they're listening and, and they're thinking to themselves, I keep hearing about the benefits of meditation, but I don't really know how to begin a practice. What would you suggest? Um, I, I really would suggest that they find a teacher or a group. 
Um, it, this is a practice, it's a simple practice, and, and uh, as, as the Maharishi who introduced Transcendental Meditation and was quite uh, a significant figure in popularizing meditation in the West, he said if you give men and women a simple technique in which they can come back to themselves and find the peace and stillness and harmony within themselves, they will take up this practice. But what I have found uh, in, in the years of my own practice and in working with other students is it does require some discipline. One, has, mm-hmm. one can be taught this technique, but then it's a matter of making a space every day in one's life for a short period of time to actually sit down and meditate. Uh, and this requires, one, it, it's helpful if one is introduced to it in a way that gives one an impulse, a strong initial desire to practice. Uh, it's also useful if, as one begins to meditate, he can uh, meet regularly with somebody for a short period of time and, and discuss what the practice is and have that practice nurtured until it takes root and begins to grow and become part of his life. Yeah, it really is about cultivating that habit because I think, you know, we're not necessarily hardwired to want to do this. Our egos don't love it. And, uh, you know, I started doing it because of my anxiety and depression. But once I felt better, I stopped doing it. And then I would start to get anxious and depressed again. I'm like, oh, there's a correlation. <laughs> yes, that's, that, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Like, uh, I got this now. I don't need to do this anymore. And it's never true. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a journey back towards oneself. And that's really a yes. journey toward infinity. Um, absolutely. There's no limits to the depths one can go um, and to the discoveries that one makes. Uh, one. Oh. Nice. Great teacher, uh, Muktananda. Um, one of the, I had a beautiful quote for, of his in the book, and he said, "Man goes through great trouble to acquire knowledge of the world, uh, mundane science, and nature, and every aspect of life. But he rarely actually seeks the wisdom and joy and happiness that resides within himself." Mm-hmm. And it's this practice of meditation that takes us back to this. And he, what he said was that a, a very real fulfillment can be achieved through this inner work, through this inner contemplation and meditation. I would absolutely agree. So, John, do you think meditation is all we need to find inner peace and fulfillment? Or is there something um, else? Yeah, no, it, it needs something else. Um, <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> it, it certainly does. As, as a, one of the teachers that I read about in East Meets West said, uh, uh, he said, if one meditates and uh, then goes about thinking nasty thoughts, well, God doesn't like it. <laughs> uh, the object is to become a person of use, of substance. Um, one does not meditate, although there are many benefits to the individual who meditates. One does not meditate for personal gain. Um, This is a a spiritual practice, and one of the analogies that's uh, in the book is is it compares the practice to a man in a church tower ringing a bell. He's making a beautiful sound, and that sound goes out, but he's not ringing that bell for himself. So the practice puts one in touch with one's own essential nature, and as a result, um, expands the sense of what a person means when he says, myself. 
begins to realize that it's one self, that the self in me and the self in you and the self at all are in fact, in fact one. So there's quite an expansion in the radius of one's awareness. As you um, talk, it reminds me of like going into the deep end of the pool. And we're, we're not living this shallow existence anymore like a gerbil on a wheel. We're really swimming in the deep end of the pool and seeing things from a much deeper, maybe higher perspective. Uh, yes. Uh, this, this is a, a journey back to oneself, um, a journey in search of the highest and most profound purpose of a human life. Um, and we all have our lives, our families, our careers, but there comes a time quite often for many people when something more is sought, mm-hmm. um, something uh, deeper, something um, more eternal, more unchanging. Um, this belief that this something that I call myself is more than the body, more than the thoughts and the feelings, more than different roles I pay, play. And, and so people begin to seek a way back, a spiritual path. And that's what these teachers taught. They taught a way of life. Yes. And would you call this either um, enlightenment or self-realization? What would you refer to this path or journey as? It's a journey back to who and what I am. It's a journey from the unreal to the real, from the transient to the unchanging. It's a journey from the superficial to the essential. It's a journey from the temporary to the absolute truth of the nature of things. I like the sounds of that. (laughs) So, you know, you write a lot about something called the fourth way. Can you tell me what that is and, and what are the other three ways? In, in India, it was uh, realized that there are essentially three types of people. Um, those that, that where the center of gravity is more or less in the intellect, they're led by their minds. Others that are of a more devotional nature. And then there are people who really are people of action and movement. And so three approaches or paths towards a spiritual development evolved. Uh, the way of knowledge, uh, the way of devotion, and the way of physical activity. And different practices and disciplines were prescribed for each of these paths. Uh, The people that I write about uh, developed the phrase the fourth way because it encompassed methods from all three approaches, The, uh, the meditation and the contemplation for the mind, um, service and um, inner reflection for the heart uh, and uh, measures and um, certain senses of regulations so that the activities of the life can be taken on and one can engage in a full activity and yet do so gracefully, harmoniously, so that we're not overwhelmed by the business and the community obligations and family obligations that those are not pursued at the sacrifice of our higher nature. The other aspect of the fourth way is 
Uh, although in India, many of these approaches involved uh, withdrawal from society, seclusion, uh, and they were practiced in an ashram or a monastery or a hermitage, what these teachers that I write about in East Meets West spoke about an approach that one takes up while fully involved in the affairs of life. Uh, and the, the one's life becomes the field of battle in which one attempts to um, nurture his higher nature. So, John, how does applying these principles and meditation and, you know, getting to know ourselves in this deeper way, how does that uh, impact the quality of our lives and uh, our relationships in a really practical way? It, I have found it in my own life that it, it has a, uh, an impact on every aspect of the life. Mm-hmm. Because this work begins with simple refinement of attention. Um, and attention, of course, is the key tool to every activity of the day. Uh, as you probably know from your practices, um, very few people are listening, hardly ever. Um, listening is a kind of rare commodity today. We pay mm-hmm. a therapist uh, hundreds of dollars an hour simply to listen to us. People need to learn to listen to the voice that's speaking, uh, particularly when that voice happens to be their own. Uh, One needs to begin to take a few moments during the day and simply stop and let go of the tread wheel, the gerbil wheel as you spoke about. Uh, Step back a moment from the play uh, and um, and come back to oneself. Um, the analogy used is a, an actor on a play. Um, if he doesn't step backstage once in a while and freshen up, then his uh, role on stage can become quite stale and a bit frazzled around the edges. We know that experience. And so one is there are certain very specific, simple, practical exercises that one begins to do, take a few moments at different times in the day and pause and come to stillness, incorporate a practice like meditation uh, in the daily life, Uh, take a little time each day, 15 minutes or 20 minutes to read something uplifting, study. Uh, These practices bring something very rich into the life and, and bring a more profound perspective to the rest of the life. Because what one begins to discover is that within us, the happiness, the love, the fulfillment that we're looking for is a part of our birthright. It's who and what we are. And that happiness is not dependent on the outcome of a particular business transaction or a particular event or even a particular relationship. We are happiness. We have access to deeper knowledge. We have an understanding of the unity of things. We simply need to remember ourselves. (laughs) I love listening to you talk. I feel like I'm going into a little bit of a meditative state here. (laughs) It feels really awesome. And, you know, it, it is the truth. So many of us are trying to live our lives from the outside in. And it's not very satisfying. It's not fulfilling. It's like when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is within, and I think Buddha says there is no out there, you know? It, yes. It's all inside of us. Yes. 
Uh, and these great master teachers of mankind, and you certainly mentioned two of them, uh, they, they understood these universal truths. Um, by way of analogy, if we were to walk into a room and find there Jesus and Moses and Buddha and Confucius and Socrates and Krishna, we would not find these great master teachers engaged in an argument. They taught <laughs> universal, fundamental truths. Uh, and, you, you know, several generations later, their disciples may have some minor disputes. But the essential nature of what these people understood about mankind um, was universal. Yes, I, I love that. So that brings me to the question. Do you see Christianity being compatible with the Eastern philosophies? This was a very big question for me personally. I, I was raised a Catholic. Oh, me too. And, and then I began <laughs> to study Eastern philosophy. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I found early on was that, it, it, that putting the light of the philosophy on the study of Gospels and what I was, had grown up with lent for a more profound understanding of my own tradition. And conversely, as it brought me back to it, you know, I actually, as a Catholic, we don't very often actually read the Gospels. <laughs> Many people never do. And I actually sort of took it up as a study for a year or so. And what I found there in, in, in the words of Jesus and the stories of the Gospels gave a more profound, deeper understanding to the philosophy I was studying. Um, so I found there to, there to be... Uh, a, quite a unified understanding. And in fact, I devoted the last chapter of East Meets West to that subject. Yeah, I, I found myself having, I guess, debates, if you will, you know, with my friends who are very, very, very Christian, saying, I don't think there's anything incompatible here. You know, judge not lest ye shall be judged. The kingdom of heaven is within. These things and greater will you do. Pretty profound teachings that don't seem at all opposed to the teachings of our Eastern masters. Uh, that was my experience as well. I love hearing that. You're a wise man, John Adago. <laughs> Thank you. I had uh, the good fortune to be influenced by the master teachers of the 20th century. Uh, they were profound people, uh, and what made them so remarkable was that this pursuit of truth and higher knowledge became the aim and purpose of their lives. Uh, learning it, acquiring it, making it a part of their lives, and then passing it on to others was their life work. I love that. I want to claim that as my life's work. Seems you have. (laughs) It it, it certainly has become, uh, for me, uh, an aim and purpose that gives meaning to everything else. Oh, I love Um, that. And it doesn't, the beauty of it is it doesn't exclude everything else. I had a career, a profession, I have a family, I have children and grandchildren. There's been a full life. It's not like I had to withdraw or sacrifice any aspect. Uh, In fact, it enriched every aspect. Yeah, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be and. We can have a spiritual, full, rich human existence. I love that you're an example of that. So, John, if people want to find you or get a copy of your book, how can they do that? Well, the book is available through bookstores. Uh, it's also available on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. It's available in paperback and in ebooks. Uh, I have a uh, website. Uh, it's titled thejourneyback.net. 
thejourneyback.net, and there's some more stories and quotes there, and also contact information should someone want to get a hold of me. Um, and and that's it. The book has been very well received. Uh, it's getting very good reviews. Uh, so and I, I think we can't, it, I'm I am quite pleased that I seem to have written something that strikes a note in the lives of many people. Yes, that is a good feeling. You're you're doing God's work. Yes, we are. Yes, I love it. Well, it's really been an honor connect with to connect with you. I've, I've just enjoyed the conversation so much. Um, you've carried me into the deep end of the pool, and and I like it here. <laughs> yes, well, it's been a pleasure to have your company here in the deep end of the pool, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Oh, absolutely. It's just been a pleasure and an honor and a privilege. And to my friends and listeners, it's been a pleasure, honor, and privilege to connect with you as well. Uh, If you have any questions for me, if you want to connect with me, go to my website, TammyBPhD.com or journeytocenter.com. Love to hear from you. Love to uh, connect with you. That's what this is about. It's about connection. It's about reminding each other who we are and remembering the truth, which is that we are spiritual beings having this human experience. And it really is an honor to create and play with you and connect with you. So um, just God bless you and just take very good care of yourself and uh, go swim in the deep end of the pool with a little... uh, quiet private time maybe in nature some meditation and um john thank you again for being here you really are a lovely lovely energy so thank you to my guests and my lovely producer matt you're the best onward and upward bye for now